Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So today, we're getting into a few books. Um, we're going to look at the books of First, Second, and Third John, and also the book of Jude. It sounds like a lot, but they're actually short books. And uh, these two authors, First, Second, and Third John, were written by John the Apostle. You know, he was the one, that, same one that wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the Book of Revelations, uh, and then Jude. Is actually was actually Jesus's brother. Like he was Mary and Joseph's son as well. So these aren't like, you know, just any random people. These are like top of the top people that wrote these books. And there was a common thread that I noticed as I read through them. In fact, I'd say there were two common threads. The first one is a warning to believers against false teachers and their false teachings. A warning against false teachers and their false teachings. But then there's a second one that goes right with it, and it's a prompting to believe what's true and live by it. In other words, a prompting to to live by true teachings, believe them, and follow them. And I'd like to talk about these two major points in the hope that we see how relevant it is for us today still. Um, It makes me think of two stories of when I was in college. You know, we're going back some 15 years ago. The first story I'm going to call... Uh, parking parking lot preachers. Parking, that, that almost sounds like, I don't know, like a podcast or something like that, but parking lot preachers. I'm in the Kane University parking lot late one night after class. It was a night class. I'm walking to my car. I'm in the parking lot. And a couple, a young couple approaches me as a male and female. And they come up to me and they start talking to me. And they tell me that they're, they're from this Christian organization. And they had these really big smiles on their, on their faces. I still remember that smile to today. And I remember thinking, like, they must be really Christian because they're super excited to talk to me in the parking lot at night about Christ. So this is going to be interesting. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, they're about to preach to me. I mean, it's all good because I'm already a believer. I've been a believer for years. It's going to be great. We're just going to talk about God for a little bit, and I'll keep going on my way. So I was a little excited for a moment until they started talking. When they started talking, I tell you, the more and more they talked, the more and more I realized Wait, they're not talking about the same Jesus I know. Like, it's a very diff- different Jesus that they're talking about. I already had been a, a believer for, year, for some years by then. So I knew that what they were preaching to me did not match up with Scripture. And I tell you, the situation started changing for me. That moment I started realizing, wait, this is a dark place I'm in right now with two very strange people. All of a sudden, that smile started getting really creepy to me. I didn't want to continue the conversation. I didn't, like, add on to it. I cut them off as soon as I could, and I jumped in that car. I tell you, when I say I still remember that smile to today, it was not for a good reason. I look at it, I was like, man, that was a creepy smile now that I think about the whole situation. And when I look back now, I know what they were preaching was actually something of a, they were from a cult. It really was a cult. Um, It wasn't just a misguided uh, idea. They were fed a lie, and they believed the lie, and they were spreading that false teaching that contradicted the Bible fundamentally. It wasn't just like this misguided idea. It was something that fundamentally contradicted Scripture. So that's one example of when I was in college, 
And honestly, it must have been like a crazy year. Something was happening spiritually that year, I tell you, because I think it was the same school year, maybe even the same semester, where there was another example. I'll call this one geology class. This wasn't as creepy, anywhere as creepy as the first. It wasn't creepy at all. This one was like a normal situation. Um, I had a geology class. Forgive me if there's anyone here that enjoys geology. Who enjoys geology? Raise your hand if you enjoy I don't know how. That was a boring class. Forgive me if anybody, like, teaches that or enjoys it. It was a really, like, I hope I remember correctly. I think we were studying rocks. Is that what it is? I think like, we like, were studying rocks. That was a boring class. I was sitting next to this guy. He was actually from Africa. I forget which country exactly. But he was a really cool guy. We would talk about everything else besides geology, right? And at one point, we started talking about God. I think I even approached him about it. I probably asked him, like, hey, do you believe in God? And you know, I found out really quickly that, that he's Christian. He was Christian too. And that excited me. Like we started talking about Christ and he was like actually Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like not like the people that I met in the parking lot uh, sometime before that. He was really Christian. But something came out that, that he was really convicted by, a strong conviction that he had. And it was this. His conviction was, he said, we, as Christians, we're not supposed to read the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament anymore. Not that we don't need to. He said, we don't have, not only do we not have to, we shouldn't read the Old Testament anymore. And he was so convicted by that, that when he came to the States, he, since he didn't find a church that believed the same thing he believed, in other words, he didn't find a church that didn't read the Old Testament, um, he wasn't going to church because he, he was really convicted by that idea. And I, I don't remember too much of his reasoning, but I, this idea he believed can be dangerous because He's, he was questioning the authority of the Bible, of the scripture. He wasn't questioning interpretation, right? Like, it's one thing to question interpretation. In other words, um, am I understanding this correctly? That's a question that you can ask. That's a legit question. Am I understanding this scripture correctly? No, that's not what he was questioning. He was questioning the authority, the actual, the reliability of the, like, he was questioning half of God's inspired word and saying, this is not relevant, you know, it's one thing to question, am I understanding this correctly? It's another thing to question, is God wrong? And that's what he was technically doing, whether he realized it or not. And those are two very different questions. And the thing that was the, the saddest part was it was leading him astray from God because he wasn't in community with the body of, of Christ. And I remember, you know, trying to tell him the importance of the Old Testament, right? You can't really understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. There are so many references to the Old Testament. Um, it really laid the foundation of all the teachings uh, uh, in, in the New. But, you know, he wasn't receiving that. And sadly, like, he just was disconnected. He was misguided. He was. He was misguided. And it was leading him away from God. I bet as you're sitting here, you can probably think of other ideas you've heard that didn't really measure up with the Christ in, in the Bible that we read. I bet you've heard of other ideas. And I can think of some other ones, but like, we don't need to go to them now. I bet you can already think of some that just don't line up with Scripture. You know, over these years, you've probably heard things that contradict the Bible. And when you think about it, you can quickly realize that these false teachings are much more prevalent nowadays than you ever really realized. Like, it's much more common and widespread than you would think about. And whether the motive of the false teacher is to purposely distort the truth, or if it's just someone being sincerely mistaken, the result is still the same. It still leads to disobedience. Like false teachings are false teachings. 
whether it's a person that's purposely trying to distort God's truth or it's someone who's sincerely mistaken at the end, if that's what's being preached, it still leads to disobedience because you're going to obey something that's not true and that can't honor God. So you have to be very careful with this. And that's why um, John and Jude warn about this. So we're going to get into those verses, uh, those scriptures now. But before we do, I want to say one more thing. God, through these writers, is talking to the church about church people. He's not talking about people that are preaching, you know, saying something different that are outside the church. Of course, if you're outside the church, you're not going to teach scripture. He's talking about people that are in some type of Christian community who have a platform to teach something from the word and say that it's supposedly from God when it's not. It's from within the church. He's talking to us. He's not talking to non-believers. He's talking to the believers that are, or at least those that claim to be believers that are saying something that's not coinciding with God's word. Back then, it was limited to people that went to their church, their, their home church or whatever, or wherever they met, right? It was always like some type of small gathering, right? Now, we don't have those limits. That's the scary thing. Right? Now, we don't have those limits. Oh, yeah, for sure, it could be someone in a congregation. But for me, it was someone in, like a couple of people in college, in my college class or in the parking lot. It could be, you know, someone that you're listening to in your AirPod on your podcast. You know what I'm saying? It can be someone that you're, um, you know, you're watching on TV. It can be someone on a YouTube short or any other social media app that you possibly might be following, thinking they're giving you a good word, and they're not. So the point is, you have to be very careful, even more so nowadays. This isn't something that's just from then. This is even more important right now. So let's get into it. The first one in 1 John verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can rec- recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which we have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Second John, verses, chapter 1, verse 7. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Third John, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but... Uh, oh, man, I practiced this. I really did. The Diotrephes? Who I really did, I practice. Who loves to be first will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Now, here, John isn't technically calling uh, Diotrephes, there you go, Diotrephes, a false teacher um, directly, but he walks on that line because he's, Literally denying, you know, the people that are bringing this truth and going against them. So technically, like he's opposing God's word. And Jude, verse 4, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. See, again, it's not talking about people outside. It's within. The Eutrophes, person that keeps saying wrong, he was within. He was a leader within. And here in Jude... Someone slipped in. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ for our only, I'm sorry, our only sovereign and Lord. 
So all these four books clearly warn about false teachers and their teachings. But as Pastor Carlos mentioned last week, this actually started a book earlier. It started in the book of 2 Peter. So Peter talked about it, and he went even further in on this. Like, he really got in on it for a whole chapter. I'm just going to read a few of the first verses and listen to what it says. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There will be false teachers among you. It's not like maybe. No, there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. I just want to interject for a second. I'm interrupting myself. Actually, I'm interrupting Warren for a second. I pray that everyone's with me for the whole teaching because I believe that God's going to convict our hearts and really check what we believe because you live what you believe. So my prayer is that if there's anything in your heart that you're believing that's not truly lining up with God's scripture, I pray that God calls it out and you respond and you really check it and you even rebuke it from within yourself and say, God, I surrender this because I want to be completely aligned with your word so that I can honor you by the way that I live. So my prayer is that you're with me from the beginning to the end. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and the destruction has, been, has not been sleeping. You know, the verse that really stands out to me is, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into, into disrepute. In other words, many people will fall for these lies and follow these false teachers and then they get hurt by it. But then what happens? Then it, it makes them discredit the, rel- the reliability and the authority of scripture because they're going to, then they start saying in general, there's little respect for this. If out of this, you can pull out these, bad, these horrible lies. I'll give you probably the worst example or the biggest example that we can think of here in the United States. Ready? And some of you might already think about it. Christians use scripture to justify slavery of black people here in the United States. Think about that for a second. And when you do, I want you to, I want you to look at this. Ready? This isn't a sin on the back of certain states. This isn't a sin on the back of a certain race. This isn't a sin on the back of a certain politic. This is the sin on the back of the church. This is a sin on the back of our people, our history. This is church history. They were misusing scripture to justify a horrible sin. To say that just because a person was of a certain color or a certain race, they were less valuable. This was a sin on our history. And you might question, wait, maybe those weren't really Christian. Yeah, it's questionable. It is. I would say that it was probably a mix. I would say it was probably a mix of wolves and sheep clothing. And then a mix of misguided sheep that heard a lie and believed a lie. But again, as I mentioned, does it matter? It doesn't matter. Because whether it's purposely distorted or whether you're sincerely believing something that's not true, something that's not lined up with scripture and you're living by it, it still leads to disobedience. It still leads to it. And so, you know, thank God for other Christians that stood up and fought, up, fought against it. There were plenty, like we, we can't forget that part. There were plenty of people that were on the other side 
standing up for the truth, standing up for what really lined up with scripture. And that's what led to the abolishing of slavery in this country. And to, but the harm was done, right? That the consequence was still there. Black slavery lasted for 400 years. And to this day, so many people still reference the justification of black slavery being used in scripture, right? Using that, some people, a lot of people still use that as the reason why they disbelieve or discredit the authority of the Bible. Because they say, wait, if you can use the Bible to justify this, that means you can use it to justify anything. I can't really rely on that. And whether that's the right way to look at it or not, the fact is that's still a consequence of the misuse and the abuse of Scripture. This part, I, I didn't know where to fit. I feel like it's the right spot right now, so I hope it fits. But in continuation with that, with, with trying to figure out what's true and what's not true, what's sorting out truth from a lie, there are two things I think we can do. And the first is this, how we should sort out truth when studying the Bible is asking, how does this fit with the rest of the Bible? How does this fit with the rest of the chapter that this scripture is in? How does it fit with the rest of the book that this scripture is in? How does it fit with the overarching themes and message of scripture? How does this fit with the character of God? So the first question you have to ask, if you ever have something that's unsettling and you're not sure about it, or even if things like you've been told and you never really thought about, the way you can question your interpretation, right? The way you can question that is figuring out how does this fit with everything else in Scripture? Does it match? Does it fit? If all of it's a puzzle, does it fit in this place? That's number one. But number two is even more important. The next question is asking God. God, what did you intend with this Scripture? What did you intend with this? For all the language arts people, this is like asking author's purpose. Like, God, what was your intention with the scripture? What did you mean by this? See, that gives God the space to speak and reveal to you instead of you landing on an idea all on your own. Because that's when when it gets dangerous. Scripture is so much more powerful when you commune with God. Bring him into your reading because they're his words to begin with. They're his words from the start. Bring him into you're reading as well. And in doing this, you can sort out truth from lies and figure out what God is really saying. But something else happens that's really deep too. When you do this, you're also sorting out your own heart. Let me tell you why. When you invite God and you're asking him, God, what did you intend by this? Well, God turns around and does is this. As you're asking author's purpose, he checks you and asks reader's purpose. Because if you're not careful, if you're not including God in the process, you might read something into scripture that you want to read that's not really there. But when you bring God in the mix, you're inviting him to speak to you and reveal to you his intentions, but also reveal to you yourself your own intentions. Hey, are you trying to read something into my word that's not really there? So it's also author's purpose along with reader's purpose when we invite God and we ask him, what did you mean by this? Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. This verse tugs at me so much because I feel like it describes what we're living today. So going back to John and Jude, some of these false teachers of the time were shedding doubt in the humanity of Jesus. That was like one of the biggest lies they were spreading during this time, which led John to actually write these letters. They believe that all matter is evil and the only thing that's uh, good is the spirit, right? Spiritual things. 
And there's, there, that's an idea that's even, uh, you know, like going on, going on nowadays, right? Like the only thing, it's being spiritual. Some believe that Jesus only appeared to be human, but was never really human. Some believed that um, either he appeared to be human, but never actually had a physical body, or that uh, Jesus' divine nature came into the body only after the baptism. But whatever the case may be, the way they looked at it was they did not believe the idea that Jesus was a physical being. They were against this. These were Christians against Christmas. Like, it doesn't even make sense. They were against Christmas. They were against what we just sang about. They were against what Scripture says. That's what they were against. And this was a very confusing lie that led many church members away. Second uh, John 1 verse 7 I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. First John verses one, uh, chapter 1, 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you, to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. That's why the authors are so important here, right? John lived with Jesus for three years. Jude knew him from a pup. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know how, how much younger he was than Jesus, but Jude knew him from, from his, like his whole life. See, John was clearly going against this idea that Jesus wasn't human. And although this lie may seem subtle, it's actually very deep. It's profound. It's foundational. It's a clear, a clear contradiction to our faith. If Jesus wasn't human, if he, was never, if he never became a physical being, then how could his death have saved us from our sins? Like, how could his physical death, if he wasn't physical, how could that have saved us from our sins? Jesus did become flesh. And in becoming flesh, he submitted to the limitations of a human being, of a physical being. And the crazy thing is he's, he submitted to it and lived it out perfectly so that when he died physically, he wasn't dying his own death. He was dying the death of everyone else. So to strip that truth from, you know, from scripture is to, is to make it all fall apart. It's like a, like a Jenga, right? Think of Jenga is that you're trying to take a piece from the bottom and then it just causes everything to fall apart. That's what they were doing. These false teachers were denying the truth, and essentially they were denying the gospel of Jesus. See, John wants his readers to see the clear distinction between truth and a lie. And in the first book of John, he did a lot of these contrasts, light and darkness, sin and forgiveness, love and hate. He wanted to make a clear line between truth and a lie. Why? Because that's the very thing that false teachers like to blur. They try to make it very difficult to see between a truth and a lie. They make that very unclear. It becomes very blurry. And they have a, they have a teacher that has a whole lot of experience. The first false teacher going all the way back to the book of Genesis. That first false teacher, if you can already think of it, was the serpent, which was Satan. Right from the start, he, set, he, he planted that seed, right, in the Garden of Eden. And listen to what he says to... Um, Eve, uh, Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. 
You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, Satan's question was crafty. Did God really say you must not? You know, you know what he's Let me read it again. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? That was a, a tricky question where if you don't answer it right, you're going to get it wrong no matter what. That's like saying, that's like saying um, you're standing with your spouse and someone asks you, hey, are you still cheating on your, on your spouse? If you say, like, dog, you say yes, that's it, you lost. You're done. You're done. If you say no, it still implies that I was, but I'm not anymore. <clears throat> right? So it's a trick question. Well, you're supposed to, God, everyone. What you're supposed to say is, I've never cheated on my wife. It's never going to happen. Why are you asking me this, right? That's what you're supposed to say. But that could set up the doubt. If that's what the deceiver wants to do, it could set up the doubt. And that's all Satan was doing there. He was setting up the doubt. You know what I'm saying? Like, she, she even spat right back verbatim what God actually said. She didn't say yes or no or whatever. She actually said, but the doubt was planted. And that's what he was doing. He was setting it up with doubts. Part of Satan's strategy to keep us away from God is to distort the truth. That's all he was doing, distorting the truth, making it very hard to see between what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's a lie. He distorted the truth. And like, we know he's doing that still even to this day. He's still about his business. He's still distorting the truth even today. He finds the cracks between the lines. He still tries to separate the truth. You know, he still makes it hard to separate truth from a lie. He still manipulates. He still bends the truth. He still change. He wants to change what things mean. And you know it. All you have to do is look around. He's trying to change the meaning of everything. You can tell me what he's trying to change. He's trying to change the meaning of murder. He's trying to change the meaning of marriage. He's trying to change the meaning of family. He's trying to change the meaning of gender. He's trying to change the meaning of church. He's trying to change the meaning of truth. What good thing is Satan not trying to change? Nothing. He's trying to change everything that's godly. He's trying to change to some type of distortion of it. That's his business. That's his job. His job is to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. And he's about his business way better than we are ever about our business because he doesn't stop. He's always about it. That's what he does. And then he uses false teachers to bring them into the church and confuse the church. There's some, you know, like, there's so many false teachings that are super popular even today. I mentioned those examples earlier, but the more popular ones are the ones I'm going to share right now. You know, and this is something that's, that's happened from the start, and it's still happening not only in the New Testament it happened, but it's still happening even today. So these are the more popular ones, I would say, that are in America at this moment and really across the world. Number one is earning your salvation. Popular false teaching, earning your salvation. It's the false gospel of grace plus works. Like grace isn't enough. You have to do something else to earn it. Many people believe that their good deeds are what put them in right standing with God. And let me tell you, sometimes in our minds we might think, Joel, I don't believe that. You need to check your heart. Like how do you live? Because sometimes, you know, if you're not being careful, you might really be living that way without realizing it. Do you really believe that God's grace is enough? Or are you tricking yourself? Are you thinking that my good deeds are what put, it, what put me in the right place with God? 
The truth is that the cost of sin aren't good deeds. The cost of sin is death. That's the cost of sin. You're, just one of your sins is, is worth death. And your good deeds are in vain if you do them trying to earn salvation when only Christ offers salvation. He's the only one that gets credit. The second is permissive sin. The false gospel that God's love is so unconditional that nothing of your, about your life has to change. That sin covers, I mean, so forgive me, grace covers all sin. So it doesn't matter how you live your life. It's all covered. Like it's the opposite of the first one. The first one is saying my works have to bring me in right standing with God. And the second one is saying God's grace is so great that it doesn't matter how I live. There's no responsibility on my side. I can do whatever I want because God's grace covers me. And that's a lie too. The truth is God promises, forgive me. The truth is how you live your life should reflect your salvation. That's fruit of it. If you're really under God's grace, there's a desire inside of you to live, right? Because you want to honor God. Not that you're trying to earn it, but I want to please him because I love him. That's the truth. Thirdly, prosperity. Many people believe that because we're Christian, God promises to, to, to make us wealthy, that everything should be fine in our lives. You know, Pastor Carly just preached about it last week. No, there is no promise that everything's going to be okay. There isn't no promise that everything's going to be just fine, that everyone's going to have everything they need all the time, you know, with no struggle. No, if anything, the promise is you're going to suffer in life. You're going to suffer. But, God, but Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Like, you don't have to live in fear, but just know you're going to suffer. You know, so, something that I'm reminded of all the time is the hardest thing in life isn't suffering. The hardest thing in life is suffering alone. That's way harder than suffering. Suffering by yourself is what is really difficult. But the promise that God does make us is that we're never by ourselves. That's the promise that we have. We're never alone when we have Christ. But he doesn't promise prosperity. That's not a promise. We'll endure hardship. That's the truth. Jesus himself came down as a suffering servant. So how does that match? the? It's this idea that I'm good as long as I'm a spiritual person. When I hear that, to me, that's a red flag right away. People think all spiritual ideas are superior. What I'm really hearing is, you know, I'm going to pick and choose the spiritual things that I believe. That, that's what I really hear when people say, I'm, a, I'm not religious or I don't go to church, but I'm a spiritual person. That, the, what I really hear, right, because in conversation, that's what eventually comes up, is I'm, I pick and choose the things that I believe are spiritually sound, really the things that cater to me, Right? Maybe it's my emotions or maybe the things that make me feel better about myself. And that's my religion, right? Like I'm a spiritual person. And the truth is a lot of the spiritual ideas that people believe are completely against God. A lot of the spiritual things that we say are, are completely against God. Many people use this idea of being spiritual as an excuse to pick and choose whatever they want. But it's not really lining up with God. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. What does that even mean? What does that mean? Because what often follows is what I mentioned. It's a mix. And they even, like, they even throw Jesus in a mix somehow. It's a mix. But what are you really believing? And lastly, the false teaching that there are many ways to God. Some people believe that salvation can be found by many avenues. By many avenues. There are many different ways to get to, to, to God. And they think different beliefs can lead to salvation if followed with sincerity. We already spoke about this. My, my people, we... You can be sincerely wrong, and that still leads to disobedience. 
there aren't many ways to God. The truth is Jesus is inclusive in the sense that He's for everybody in a sense where anybody can come to him, regardless of your background, regardless of where you come from, of how much money you have, of how much schooling you've you've had, of what country you're from, of of how much you've sinned in your life. Jesus is for everybody in that sense where everybody can come to him. He's inclusive in that sense. But the exclusivity is he's the only way to God. He's the only way. There's no other way to God but through him. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to heaven. There's no other way to eternal life but through Jesus. See, the danger of believing false teachings, as I mentioned, is that it leads to disobedience. Because it's a distortion of the truth. And the counter of false teachings is knowing and living the truth. That's why John talks of this in 2 John. He says, the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth. He says truth a lot, if you haven't caught it, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. will I'm sorry, the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And in 3 John, he says, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. See, the truth about Jesus is the most important thing. Like he even himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, um, the apostles, like there's an apostles creed. It's something that the church put together in early in the early centuries for this very reason, right? Because there were so many heresies going around that they had to develop and articulate what are the fundamental truths that we believe as Christians. So I want to read this, and it says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of the heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic church, which Catholic means universal, like the global church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. These are the core beliefs of the Christian faith. So I want to give you a chance to reflect for a second. And I'm going to ask you a few questions. And I want you to think about this. Do you truly believe in Jesus? And, you know, you you can answer this to yourself. Answer it internally. Has the truth of Jesus been cemented in your heart? Have you placed your faith in Jesus above everything else? That's not an easy question to answer, by the way. Have you placed your faith in Jesus above everything else? That's a question you're probably going to have to take home, to be honest. Do you believe what the Bible says about Jesus? Jesus being God himself. like He is God. He became human. He died for our sins. He was resurrected by the power of the Father. He will return to bring us to heaven. Do you believe that he should be king of your heart? Do you believe that? See... 
In the book of John, John talks about separation. As I mentioned before, he contrasted between light and dark, sin and forgiveness, love and hate. God uses separation as well. God separates as well. The book of Genesis shows how God separated everything in creation, right? He separated um, light and darkness, sky and sea, land and sea. He separated uh, male and female. And when a man and woman marry, they separate from their parents, right? He did this all in the book of Genesis. Jesus uses separation in the book of John. And this is, I I want you to, to catch this because he did this in a way that wasn't easy, like for people to hear. It was a very difficult thing to hear. He had just finished the miracle of feeding 5,000 people. It was probably more than that because that's only including the men, right? So between men, women, and children, who knows how many thousands of people, and they loved it. They loved it because they saw him multiplying bread. They saw the miracles. They saw these great things that Jesus was doing. But then they followed him the next morning. And when they followed him the next morning, they were expecting to see more miracles. And instead, what he spat out was some truth, but he spat out hard truth. He said, I know why you're following me, because you want to see more of this. You want more bread. Like, you're hungry. That's what it is. You're hungry. You want some bread. You want breakfast. That's why you're following me. But he says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. He knew that they were before him, but they didn't really believe him. They wanted the miracles, but they didn't really want the truth. And so now he's spinning out truth. He's giving them the very thing they don't want, but the very thing they need. And when he's doing that, he's separating. And watch how he really separates them in a hard like fashion right now. So it starts getting intense. They even begin to argue sharply about the words that he's saying, because they can already see where he's going with it. And listen to what he says in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 56. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, Unless you eat the flesh of the son, and man, son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Like he set this up to say it at the perfect time. They were hungry. They, they saw him multiply bread the day before. They want some good food right now. And he's saying, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And once Jesus said this, almost everybody walked away. Pretty much everyone left except for his 12 disciples. Because when they heard this, they were saying like, this guy's crazy. How are we going to eat his flesh and drink his blood? But the part that amazes me isn't that people walked away. Because if they didn't know the truth, of course they were going to walk away. The part that amazes me are the people that stayed. How could they had, they did not understand the scripture at all. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying, but they stayed. Why did they stay? That sounds crazy. Jesus, we know you're not crazy. We know who you are. I'm sticking with you. Look at what uh, uh, even Peter says afterwards. When Jesus asks him, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, Simon Peter answered him. Forgive me, let me read it again. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now we can look back and we know exactly what Jesus was talking about when he said this, right? We knew what he was talking. He was talking about his death and resurrection. That's what he was talking about. 
He was saying, my flesh, I'm going I'm to give up my flesh. I'm going to give up my blood to save your soul. That's what he was talking about. But then they didn't know what he was talking about, and he still stayed. We know that his body was pierced and his blood was shed. And as hard as it was to hear, those 12 disciples never left. They knew the truth about who he was. They were willing to stand on the truth of who he was, even though they didn't understand what he was saying at that moment. What he was doing at this moment was he was separating sheep from goats. So listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So the question right now for you is, and for all of us, are you a sheep or a goat? I want you to think about that. Are you a sheep or a goat? See, God still separates today. And honestly, we could say the pandemic was one way God recently used um, separation, right? Like some people still haven't recovered from the pandemic as far as their faith is concerned. Some people, like in the pandemic, your, your faith either, either grew or it shrunk. And some people still haven't recovered from it. So the pandemic is a clear way of how God uses that. But God separates so many different ways. There's light and there's darkness. There's sin with its consequence and its forgiveness. There's love and there's hate. There's good and there's evil. There's truth and there's lies. And like we said, there's sheep and there's goats. Like those two things are not the same at all. But I want to plug in something for a second. And I hope it fits. Satan is a counterfeiter. So the way that we mentioned before, he copies everything that God does and he distorts it. So guess what? He separates too. He separates, but see, this is the difference. When God separates, he separates, he divides by truth. When Satan separates, he separates with lies. There's a big difference. So let me show you some of the, what he does. He tries to separate the church by dividing us into groups, saying one group is more valuable than another, which is a lie. Rich or poor, that's how he separates. Black or white, then the rest of us get mixed in somewhere. I don't know where Hispanics and all of us get in. We get mixed in somewhere. But there's one device he's been using a whole lot lately, and it's politics. He's been using this lie of separating the church with politics, saying that one group is more important than the other, saying that one, one group is, you know, like right and the other is wrong. And we're not going to get into politics right now because that's not my thing. But within the church, we've been divided by our political views, whether we vote Republican or Democrat. And we've seen it. Not only have we seen it inside the church, we've seen it on social media. Between I've seen Christians arguing on social media about their political views in front of the whole world to see them arguing about the political views. What are you telling the world when you're bashing each other about your, about your politics, yet you call each other brothers on Sundays? What are you telling the world? What you're telling the world is Satan is using politics to cause this division and I don't care what everybody else sees. I know our political views can be personal and passionate. But what I'm praying for is that we don't let the enemy fool us. We can't fall for the trap of being divided by our politics. Those disagreements, however, however passionate they may be, cannot separate us 
when we have something so much stronger that's supposed to unify us, which is Christ, whatever your political views may be, whatever other disagreements you might have, you can't let those things separate you when you're supposed to be unified in Christ. What's supposed to unify you is the blood of Christ. Nothing else matters. That's supposed to be the most powerful thing. See, God separates with truth. The devil separates with lies. There's only two groups that God uses or or, or places us in. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's not rich or poor. It's none of that. It's either you're a sheep or you're a goat. That's it. That's the only thing Jesus is looking at. See, in 1 John, believers left Jesus because they found the false teachings too easy to believe, right? It was easy for them to believe Oh, Jesus didn't come in a physical being. Just like it was easy for my friend from college to believe we don't need to read the Old Testament. And then, you know, kind of messing up his whole foundation and not even being a part of a church, uh, a church anymore. It was easy for those false teachings to be, to, believe, to be believed, right? But in Matthew, when Jesus says his peace, those people walked away because it was too hard for the truth to be believed. Some people walked away because false teachings were too easy to believe. Others have walked away because the truth is too hard to believe. What you learn is important. What you learn can turn into what you believe, and what you believe is what you live. I just want to mention two more things from the books of John, really just from John. Yep. No, Judea. And it's the signs of a disciple. A true disciple of Jesus perseveres. You know, I remember like when all those things were, all those people were telling me different things. And those aren't the only examples from when I was in college. There are other things that I heard from even professors. And like, I know my faith was being under attack for sure, 100%. But I thank God that I was able not only to, to get through it, I was able to grow through it. Like I was able to get past it and actually grow from it. You know what I'm saying? Like those very things just made me dig into scripture even more and make me make my faith grow. See, a sign of a true disciple is that you persevere through it all. A true disciple of Jesus perseveres. First John verses uh, verse four or chapter four, verse four. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So my prayer, and my hope is that you persevere. No matter what you hear outside, outside of this, out in the world, or even in church that you feel like might not, you know, agree with scripture, no matter what you might hear on social media, my prayer is that you persevere. When you hear it, it makes you turn to scripture and you ask those questions. How does that fit with the rest of scripture? And even ask God, God, how does this fit with you? Like, what did you intend by this? You have to persevere. And secondly, a true disciple of Jesus walks in obedience. Second John chapter one, verse six. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. And that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. By, by no means are we going to be perfect. That's why first John one, nine, I bet a bunch of people already know it. First John one, nine, if we confess our sins and he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Like, I love that part. You know, I know I'm going to sin, but if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We're not going to be perfect, 
We're just striving for it, but we're not going to be perfect. To be holy means to be set apart for God. It's, be, it's to be separated for God. You're a sheep or you're a goat. So the question is, what are you, a sheep or a goat? Right now, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads. And before we close this teaching, I'd like for us to just kind of think about some of the things that we might believe. Some of us are here this morning believing in things that aren't true. And in all honesty, like none of us have perfected faith, right? I'll never stand up here and pretend like I've perfected it. I'm learning from God every single day. That's, that's my goal. As a Christian, what I love is to learn more about God. Because the more truth I learn about him, the more he exposes the lies in me and helps me walk in obedience. So in all honesty, none of us have perfected faith. We all miss the mark on some things. But you don't want to miss the mark on the main things. You can't miss the mark on the foundational things. You can't miss the mark on who Jesus is. You can't miss the mark on God's character. You can't miss the mark on those things. Because if you do, what it ends up doing is just causing you to, to, to go astray. So I want to give you this chance to talk to God about this. And I'll just remind you of some of those things. But honestly, I want you to just close your eyes and talk to God a little bit. And again, as a reminder, the first one, earning salvation. Some of us might believe that we have to earn our salvation. You know, every time you make a mistake, you fear that you lose it. And then you get it back after some time passes. You ask forgiveness and you start doing good again. But that would be a very fragile way into heaven. Like, that's not what I believe about the cross. That's not what the scripture talks about the cross. The scripture says that what Jesus did in the cross is a once and for all type of thing. I always lose that quote. Right there. What Jesus did in that cross is a once and for all type of thing. That it's so strong that there's nothing we can do technically if we're under Christ that can separate us from God's love. It would be impossible to make it into heaven that, that, that way because, forgive me, in fact, we're talking about trying to earn it. It would be impossible to make it into heaven by earning it because we sin all the time. God offers us security in our salvation. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Your security is in the son, not in yourself, not what you can earn. Secondly, permissive sin. Some of us believe that the other extreme is true. Since God is so loving, we can live however we want. I just have to show up on Sundays and pray sometimes, but I can do my thing. God knows my heart. And you don't realize how offensive that is to God. Like he offers his whole heart and you only offer him pieces of your heart. Like that doesn't honor God. That's not having community with God. That's not having a real relationship with God. That's treating God as someone who, you know, just takes care of your, your, your problems, but you have no responsibility in the relationship. Like imagine having a marriage that way. It, it would never work. Having a relationship with God that way is unrealistic as well. When you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell within you. And when the Holy Spirit dwells within you, he starts changing you to look like Jesus. So true fruit of a believer, true fruit of a disciple is someone who's being changed by the Holy Spirit. If your life looks exactly the same before and after Christ, you need to check yourself and check if you really have Christ. For prosperity, like, think of, all I have to say is this, how about all the people in, in the most poverty-stricken countries in the world? 
how can you preach to them God wants you to be wealthy? If that's the case, everyone that believes in Christ will become rich and have no more problems. Look at what John says in Luke. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but that your names are written in heaven. And the way I'm, I'm extending that to, to make the point, the only thing that should make us rejoice is that our names are written in heaven. And even the new age idea of everything being spiritual, like what Jesus did spiritually for us of washing away our sins was first done in the physical realm. His physical body died in a cross and that washed away our sins. So how can you deny the relevance and the importance of the physical? Like that's the story of Christmas. Jesus came down in the physical world. And finally, that there are more ways to God. Some of us believe deep in our hearts or even in the front of our minds that there's more than one way to God. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I, I'll just ask you a few questions if, you, if that's what you're thinking. Who else has laid down their life for you? Who else has died in the cross for your sins? Who else has been resurrected by the power of God, defeating sin and death once and for all? No one. So how can, how can you give credit to anyone else to bring you to God when Jesus is the only one that's done that? He's the only one that's worthy to be called the way, the truth, and the life. So my prayer, and as I close in prayer now, my prayer is that like, we don't fall away from the truth. We listen to the warnings from John and Jude, that we, we be aware of the fact that there are false teachers out here in this world. There are false, and, and in the Christian world, right, in the Christian community, there are false teachers out there saying all types of stuff about Jesus that aren't true. And our responsibility is to compare that to the scripture and bring it back to God and check it so that we don't fall for the lies. Because believing in false teachings leads to disobedience. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for you revealing your truth to us. Your scripture is how you speak to us, Lord. Your word is how you speak to us. And I pray that we may listen. I pray that we may hear your word and believe your word so that it turns into us living your word. I pray, my God, that, you know, we lean into your scripture. And if we ever hear anything that doesn't sound right, we always compare it back to your word so that we compare it back to what's true so that we can sort out the truth from the lies. We believe in you, Jesus. We believe that you are the son of God. We believe that you came down to earth on a mission. And that mission was to save us from our sins. And you did that on the cross. And through your death and resurrection, it's the only way we can have a relationship with the Father. By placing our, our lives completely on your back, Jesus. And making you our Lord and our Savior. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, 
Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.